Peters, a 22-year-old grown unschooler who lives in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Maya. Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me. You and I know each other through the online world. What was our first connection? Um, I think that you put out a call for people to help with your um, way of learning. Is that what it was called? The, the like, way of online? adventure. Yeah, way of adventure. Yeah. So I like kind of interned and helped out, kind of tested that course with you. And that was like two years ago, I think. Yeah, that was a while ago now. Uh, and you are a, a grown unschooler. Were you unschooled your entire life? I was. I like we started out um, with kind of like some like homeschool curricula that my mom worked through. But my parents were always like super, super supportive. And my brother and I had like tons of freedom. So we didn't like discover the label unschooler until we were teenagers. But I think we always were doing it for my whole life. Okay, de facto unschoolers. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever been to school? Mm -mm. No, I... Um, I remember being little, my brother and I like really wanted to go to school because we wanted to ride the school bus. But then my mom like got us to go on some kind of field trip and then we were perfectly satisfied. We never wanted to go to school uh, again. Nice redirection, mom. Well played. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Instead of a bus, how about a train? Right. <laughs> and I think we have to mention also that you are the editor in chief of the website grownunschoolers.com. You and I collaborate on this website. Yes. Yeah. So that's been really cool because I've gotten to read and see a lot of different people who had like, you know, some people had really similar backgrounds to mine. Some people had really different. So it's really cool to see all the different ways that unschooling can kind of turn out. And for those of you who don't know about this, uh, it's a, just a website where we collect long form interviews with grown unschoolers and unschooler doesn't have to mean like narrowly uh, someone who's homeschooled, but is highly self-directed. You could have gone to a democratic free school. You could have gone to school for a lot of your life and then left school. And, you know, it's pretty open. And, and Maya and I want your, your profile. So please go to grownunschoolers.com, submit it. And Maya will, will personally write you back and uh, handle your, your interview process. Yes. It's a promise. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are talking about college and gap years on this episode. And I think your story is very interesting because a lot of people take one gap year. Some people will then take two gap years. You are working on gap year number four right now. Yes. Yes, I am. And they've kind of been, each one has been kind of different, but they like lead kind of organically into each other. And I've just had a really good time. <laughs> so you did not go into this at age 17 or 18 thinking, I'm going to take four gap years. Mm -mm, no, I, I wasn't sure whether or not I wanted to go to college, but I was pretty sure that, you know, I would take a year and then after that year, I'd have everything figured out and then, you know, probably go to college. But it kind of, you know, one thing kind of led to another, and I've been doing um, different things each year. We're going to talk about those different things in each year, uh, but let's go back to your time growing up and tell me a bit more about what your version of unschooling looked like, how much uh, academic content there was, how interested you were in going to college, like what your, your early thoughts and beliefs were around higher education. Yeah, so I... I always kind of, um, when I was younger, assumed that I'd go to college. Both of my parents went to college and like, I really liked um, classroom learning and like I took an online Latin class. I did a couple 
co-ops and then like early high school I started taking community college classes and I really enjoyed that kind of learning environment and so it just kind of seemed like you know college would be the next natural step and I took a couple like um, AP classes and took some AP tests and you know it was all it was all pretty fun honestly like I enjoyed studying and I enjoyed like working hard for grades um, but then by the time I was a senior in high school I was just feeling really burnt out I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do plus I like I knew that if I went to college I would study English and that just didn't seem like a great guarantee of like a job or a way to like pay off student debt so I decided to take some time off to figure out like if that was what I wanted to go into. Mm. Let me ask a few clarifying questions here. So first of all, you said when you were an, a senior in high school, you just mean like the, the equivalent year? Yeah, like when I was 17. But okay. I was still, um, by that point, I definitely considered myself unschooled. Were you following any sort of formal curriculum or trajectory? No, I think um, basically like when I was 15, I started really like taking charge of my own education. So by that point, my parents kind of like took a backseat and they like just supported what I wanted to do, but they never really told me what I needed to do. So I like, you know, I picked classes that I wanted to sign up for. And then I kind of like, I was taking um, a couple math classes at a co-op just because I like, I felt like I should, even though I didn't particularly love math. Um, but I wasn't following any kind of like guideline other than what I made up for myself. Mm. Okay, so the AP classes, the community college classes, those were all you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there were a couple times, like, my mom especially noticed that I was, like, getting really stressed out about it and, like, putting a lot of importance on grades. And she, you know, suggested that I, like, chill out about it a little bit more. She was saying that it wasn't as important as I was making it out to be. But for a while, I was, like, very convinced that I needed to you know, like get really excellent grades and try and go to college right away. So it was a lot of self-imposed pressure. Interesting. Uh, and you were thinking about the finances of your college decision, and you were assuming that if you were you assuming you were going to go to a public university or a private institution, uh, did you assume you were going to be taken on debt? Um. Yeah. I. So like my like dream situation growing up, I was like, oh, I want to go to like a private liberal arts school and study English. But that was just like not really like financially an option. So I was just kind of thinking that I'd go to like a public university. But even then, like I, I would definitely like I'd look for scholarships, but I'd probably have to take out loans as well. And um, and both of my parents were English majors and they were able to go to school without debt. And they were like, you know, it was a good experience, but they both said that they didn't think that it was something they would, you know, they would have gone into debt for. It's like not the most lucrative career field. Did you feel a bit burned by that? Like, this is nothing against your parents. It's just against like our economic realities today that your parents were able to go, I assume, to public universities and mm -hmm. study English or, you know, this could be any other you know, seemingly uh, worthless, I put that word in scare quotes, uh, <laughs> liberal arts degree. And they didn't, I, I, I'm just assuming they had to pay very little or it was completely compensated by, by the state. Uh, and now you don't have that same option. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't have very strong feelings about that. I don't feel that bad about it. Okay. So you were considering English and, you know, English strikes me as something that is, it's actually a pretty good idea if you want to get serious about uh, writing and about discussing literature. It's a pretty good idea to have a real life college classroom. When people talk about disrupting higher education and taking online courses and 
uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's wonderful for coding, but for something like workshopping an essay, it's much more difficult to do online. So did you feel like you were potentially missing out on your desire to study English uh, by not going to college? Yeah, I have thought about that and worried about that some. I think um, I have a really great community college nearby, so I've been taking classes there. I took a really wonderful um, memoir and essay writing class last semester, and that was really great because, you know, it's like super affordable and nearby, and the teacher that I had was really, really excellent, um, and I'm taking another class there in the spring, so I feel really lucky that there are other options outside of traditional four-year university. Um, and then there's also, you know, like different writing groups and different like, you know, like I could set up things with friends. So I don't feel like the only way to get that kind of workshop experience is through a four-year university. All right. So take me to the moment where you were thinking about applying to college and then you decided not to. What happened then? So this was when I was 17 or 18. And like I said, I was like very stressed. I had been like assuming that I'd go to college for a long time, but I was just really dragging my feet. Like I wasn't writing the essay and like I love writing essays. So it was really weird that I didn't want to write this essay. Um, and then I was just talking to my mom one night and she was like, you know, like you don't need to do this right now. You can just like take a year and do other things, work on, you know, like personal writing projects and and then figure out where you are at the end of that. And it like blew my mind, like that I didn't have to go to college right away. It just felt like this huge, like opening up of possibilities. And so like, right when she said that, I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. So then um, for the next year after that, I basically like worked on personal projects and honestly didn't really think about college a lot um, other than like sometimes questioning my own decision. But for the most part, I felt pretty good about what I was doing. Okay, so you're living at home. Were you continuing to meet up with friends from your homeschooling unschooling world in Austin? Yeah, yeah. So a couple, actually most of my friends um, were like around my age or a year younger. So they were still, most mm. of them were still living at home too. So it was really like, I mean, not much changed from my like last year of like quote unquote high school mm -hmm. into my gap year. Because I was, you know, still living at home, still working part time, still doing you know, learning in the way that I wanted to learn and doing the things I wanted to do. Okay. Cause I've heard uh, a number of stories from people who all of their friends are, are leaving to go away to college and it becomes a very isolating experience to become the person. And this could happen to someone who goes to regular high school or someone who's unschooled. Uh, but it becomes very isolating to be the one who's not going away to college. So you were lucky uh, in that your, your friend group was a bit more uh, age diverse. And, and so you could just, continue enjoying your life at home. Yeah, that would be really hard, I think, if everyone else had left and I was stuck. I think that would I would have not had as good of an experience as I did if that was the case. You said you were working on projects. Like, tell me more. Yeah, so one thing that I really wanted to do was have a very, like, volunteer-centric year. Um, I think that part of that was just to feel that, you know, even if I didn't finish any writing that I was proud of, just to feel that I had done something to like contribute something that felt good um so I like volunteered as a literacy tutor at an elementary school near my house so I would like go and read with kids there um and then I also volunteered at a, a program that um sends books to inmates in Texas prisons so you like get a letter and then respond to them and find books that 
will match their interests. And so doing those things, I did both of those about once a week for a while, which felt like really like meaningful and fun. And then I also um, started a blog and wrote on my blog. And then I tried to write a lot of different things, but it was kind of difficult without the structure and accountability of classes because I wasn't taking any writing classes at that time. So there was a lot of like kind of stopping and starting, not knowing where to go next in my own writing. Um, but I did keep, you know, like journaling and personal writing throughout that whole time. And you said you didn't think about college that much. Uh, did you have any anxiety or, or second thoughts about your decision during this first gap year? Um, I don't remember. I remember feeling anxiety just about like what I was going to do with my whole life. <laughs> but luckily, um, the people in my life at that time were really supportive of my decision not to go right away. And so I felt really like, you know, I, I don't think that I would have felt less anxious if I had been in college at the time, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way to compare it. Uh, not like, did you have any anxiety or zero anxiety, but do you think it was comparable to how you would have felt if you were in a normal four-year college? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that if I had been in college, I might have even felt more anxious because I would have been like following someone else's, you know, guidelines. I would have been taking the classes someone else thought I should take. Whereas like being able to choose what I did with my time, I at least knew that like no matter what happened, I was doing what felt right for me at the time, which did give me a little bit of like comfort, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, take me to the moment where you decided to do a second gap year. What what led up to that and what contributed to your decision? So that I can like pinpoint to the second. Whoa. <laughs> I remember um, at the end of like my first gap year, um, I went to, this was like around the time of Hurricane Harvey in Houston. And so um, I went with like my family and like some people that my mom knew to go help like muck out houses there. And as we were driving back, I just felt really strongly that I wanted to like go somewhere far from home because I was still living at home at the time. And I wanted to like go somewhere else and do some kind of like meaningful service work and just get out of my own like bubble that I'd been living in. So within the next few weeks, I found this um, program that had like exchange programs where you could go teach English in schools in other parts of the world. And so I applied and I got in and then I got to go teach English in Nanjing, China for four months the next spring. Okay, I need to hear more about this because you just said <laughs> that in like two sentences. But, but I mean, tell me about uh, your desire to teach English abroad. And a lot of people, I think, have this kind of romantic vision of what that's like that doesn't always match up with reality. So, so what was your life like on the ground there? Um, so it was, there was, you know, of course, a lot of good and bad. So the good, I got to teach um, in a kindergarten, which was super fun. It was really great because I think it, it was a lot less like anxiety provoking than if I was teaching older kids, I think, because it was very much like I just got to play with them. And then it was also really rewarding because, you know, the kids were at this time, you know, in their development where they can like absorb new languages so quickly. So by the end of four months, like we were having conversations and it was like super cool to see their progression. Um, the hardest part, I think I just got sick a lot. Um, there was like a lot of pollution. I had like a really bad head cold for pretty much the entire four months. But it was, I don't know, it was just a really rewarding, really great experience overall. You were 19 at this time? 
Yes, I think so. Yeah, okay. that sounds and, right. And uh, I mean, living in a totally different part of the world for four months at that age is really intimidating for a lot of people. And uh, tell us a bit more just about like where you lived, how you fed yourself, you know, what your social life was like, how you stayed sane. <laughs> Yeah, so the program that I went with, um, there were a bunch of other teachers also from America who were going there too. So I lived, it was like the top floor of the, um, it was like a, a boarding school type thing. So all of the Chinese teachers lived in one apartment building because they also lived like on campus. And then um, me and like 25 other American teachers lived on the top floor. Um, and so like I shared like basically a dorm room with one other teacher. And then there was like a little mini kitchen at the end of the hall that all of us shared. Um, so that was nice because it was kind of like a built-in social network because mm -hmm. there, there weren't many other, because I only speak English. So there weren't many other English speaking people around. So I felt very lucky that there were these people. I don't know. I don't know what I would have done otherwise. I probably would have learned more Chinese, which would have been nice. <laughs> but, um, easy, easy, no problem. Yeah, yeah, right. Get some like Duolingo, and I'm good. Um, uh, yeah. So then, as in um, terms of feeding myself, that we um, could just eat at the cafeteria on campus, and then there was like a grocery store nearby. And the way that this program worked, like we got like a little bit of a stipend to like get food and classroom supplies and stuff. So it was really like the whole thing was like super affordable, super like it felt pretty safe, like having this whole group of people also there with me in the same boat. Mm -hmm. So I never felt like I was really truly on my own, which was nice because I mean like this was the first time that I hadn't like been living with my parents and my brother and I just moved like 7,000 miles away from them. So <laughs> it was like, you know, a bit of a shock, but it, overall it felt easier than I thought that it might. It almost sounds like you were in college in, in a certain way, uh, yeah. kind of in a dorm, you know, even the, the physical environment you described uh, with a little mini kitchen at the end of the hallway uh, and everything set up for you. Uh, did you have to pay to participate in this program? Mm -hmm. The program fee covered, it was basically like the cost of my air travel there. Um, and then they paid for me to like stay in the house and give me food and stuff. It was like, yeah, not very expensive, but okay. it, I wasn't being paid to be there. Okay, but almost break even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. So you did this for four months, you spent maybe the cost of the plane ticket, and your housing and food was covered. Did you have to work 18 hours a day? It was nothing. I literally worked um, eight to 12 every morning. And then the rest of the day I could like explore. I got two weeks off. So we got to travel. Um, I got to camp on the Great Wall, which was like the coolest thing. I never thought I'd be able to do that. Hmm. I'm sure I will have people emailing me asking for the specific name of this program. So would you mind sharing it? Yeah, for sure. It's called International Language Programs. And it is super cool. They have a bunch of programs going different places. And yeah, I would totally recommend it. There you go. International language programs, free marketing. You're welcome. <laughs> awesome. But it sounds like they deserve it. So good for them. Yeah. Okay. So this was your second year. You were inspired by doing hurricane relief work. Uh, you said, I'm going to go do more service work. I'll teach English in China. You did that for about half of your gap year. Uh, what did you do for the second half? The second half was, at least the summer, was a little bit of a letdown. I came home and I was really, really sick. So I ended up just being sick for like two or three months, um, just kind of recovered. And then I just, basically the rest of that year, I kind of worked part-time because 
you know, like expenses were high, but I also went on a lot of trips. So I came back with like no money. So I kind of just recovered and built up my savings a little bit more. Okay. Uh, were you doing part-time jobs? How did you build up those savings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just working at Starbucks part-time. Um, and yeah, that was about it. I don't remember a whole lot more. I think the rest of that year was pretty much just like a recovery haze. <laughs> All right. So the real price you paid for that volunteering was in your lungs. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> okay. Caveat emptor. Uh, let's see. At the end of your second gap year, were you feeling stress or anxiety or uh, externalized pressure to go to college? I don't think that I was at all, actually. I felt really, like, I felt really glad that I was able to get out of my own little bubble. I think that the first part of my gap year where I was just living at home, I was having a really good time. I, like, enjoyed pretty much every day, but I felt like I, um, I think that I was just afraid that I wasn't experiencing new things and I wasn't, like, really challenging myself. And, like, that's not to say that that year wasn't hard because it was hard in a lot of ways to, like, find things that I wanted to do and motivate myself to do them. But just, like, living at home, being in the same place that I'd always been, I think that that caused me some anxiety. So then my second year, like, knowing that I could go somewhere really far away from home and make it work, I just, I felt, like, pretty good about that. So I didn't really feel anxious that year. All right. Let's transition into gap year number three. We're getting close to recent history here. So uh, were you thinking about applying to college after gap year number two, or were you just rolling straight into your next adventure? I was kind of thinking about applying to college for the same thing. Like, you know, I wanted um, like a writing group. I wanted accountability. But then, I don't know, I started looking into it more seriously, and I just kind of didn't want to be told what to do. I didn't want to like have to take required classes. And I also kind of wanted to like, I felt like I'd already had a taste of like, you know, working and getting out into real life. And I didn't want to have to wait four more years to do that again. So last spring, I started looking for like jobs and internships and things that I felt like that I could do now without a college degree, but that would also feel make me feel like I was like contributing to the world in a way that felt good to me. And what did you find? Um, In the spring, I got this really really great internship um, at the Colorado River Alliance, um, which is a nonprofit that teaches uh, like water information, like water education and environmental education to kids. So I led field trips to um, third through fifth graders about uh, like pollution and watersheds. And that was super, super fun. I got to be outside all the time and like squirt chocolate syrup on models of the river, which was super exciting. (laughs) And it was just a really good time. Yeah, that sounds like some of the outdoor education jobs I had right after college. Um, Did you struggle to find this position or other positions that that would accept you would even look at your application without a four year degree? Because I think a lot of people are concerned that even finding a quality internship is challenging if you don't have a degree because everyone has degrees and there's degree inflation, credential inflation. Therefore, it's kind of irresponsible to do what you're doing because maybe you'll get lucky and find a position, but more likely you're going to get shut out of the job market, maybe even the internship market. I I was definitely concerned about that. I did look at a bunch of internships and some of them, especially nonprofit internships, they like can't pay interns. So they need interns who can accept Um, course credit like just the way that it works uh, like through their organization so there were some positions that I don't think I could have gotten 
um, because I couldn't get class credit for them. But I found I found this internship and another one. A lot of it, I think, was um, just kind of I reached out to the people and I said, like, you know, I'm not a student, but I really want to work with your organization. And I think you're doing really great work. And they were super welcoming. I think that like I think that it's easier if you start at a smaller company where you can have that kind of like personal connection. Um, like I just like, you know, emailed them and heard right back from them and they were interested in my story and they were willing to work with me. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I don't think that not going to school really prevented me from doing anything there. Okay. And so you were not just submitting formal applications or responding to formal job or internship postings. You were finding these, in this case, these nonprofits that interested you and you would just find their contact information online and send them an email and introduce yourself. So the Colorado River Alliance one, I think that one, I found the um, information and then I like, I just applied, I went through their website. So that was pretty much like just like a standard application. But then um, another internship that I had that same spring uh, was with the Writers League of Texas. And with them, I I happened to like know someone who used to be on the board. And so I like asked her if she could write me a letter of recommendation. So it was just kind of like working through the networks that I already had. And that also like, it felt like, um, yeah, that was, I think the personal connection that I was talking about more. Mm, got it. Okay. And uh, what else were you doing at the same time? I, I assume this was a part-time thing with the Colorado River Alliance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So both of those internships were unpaid. So I was also working at Starbucks to make money. Got it. Good old Starbucks. Good old Starbucks. What a time. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're living at home. And so I assume you're able to save this money that you're earning. Mm -hmm. Are you feeling any hesitancy at this point, age 20, about uh, still living at home? Like, is, is it, it sounds like you and you, your parents have a really great relationship. That's great. But, you know, even with a great parent-child relationship, you can get tired of not having your own place. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I've always had, I feel like, a really great relationship with my family. But I was feeling at that time, like, yeah, I wanted to get out. I also, you know, like, we were living um, in the suburbs, and I wanted to, like, live a little closer to downtown. Um, so I found, I started looking into co-ops because I, like, I wanted to move out, but I didn't really want an apartment and I didn't want to live by myself. So I found a couple co-ops that I was interested in. And then, um, that spring I ended up moving into this co-op where I live now that I super, super love. It's like very like <laughs> hippy dippy, um, like vegetarian consensus based intergenerational, like. We have like compost. <laughs> I, I'm really sure like you, have, you have endless compost piles. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I know what a hippie co-op is, Maya, but I think a lot of our <laughs> listeners might not. Can, so could you explain it to us uh, from the basics? Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's um, a big house. Uh, 14 people live here and we share, like we're all kind of co-owners of the house and then we share responsibility for it. So we... Um, all pitch in with labor. We have like different labor that we do each week. We share meals and then we vote on the way that the house runs. Um, yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. Is there anything else? Yeah, yeah. So, so cooperative means, well, co-op means cooperative in general. And the idea oh, yeah. is you're not just exchanging money for a, a place to live, but instead everyone actively participates uh, in, in this place. And yeah, you, you can't just like be a complete hermit who doesn't talk to anyone else. It's for community-minded people. Exactly. Yeah. And you say intergenerational. I've never lived in an intergenerational housing co-op. Like, what's the age range? It's 
it's huge. So I'm the youngest person. I'm 22 now. And then the oldest person is, I think, 75. And um, he's been living here for like 25 years. Wow. Cool. And uh, yeah, I loved my experience living in the, the student co-ops at UC Berkeley. And I know that there are similar cooperative systems in other college towns, Austin being a, a great example, of course. Um, and I know it's very hard to find these kinds of places outside of college towns. That, that just seems to be where they, they pop up. Um, and so I, do you have any advice for people listening who are interested in finding housing co-ops? Like, how would someone in your situation who doesn't live in Austin, Texas, maybe look for a co-op? Hmm. Um, I know that I, I recently went to a NASCO conference. I forget what it stands for. National student of student national association of student. I went to one of their conferences too, when I was like 20, but continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It stands for something. Anyway, I think that, um, I think that they'd probably be a good resource because I know that they Mm -hmm. have like, they kind of connect a lot of co-ops in different places. I do think though, like you said, it is a very like college town thing. So I don't know the best way to find a co-op in a place that you know, is a little smaller or a little less college-y. <laughs> yeah, I guess you just Google it. Yeah, um, I guess that would work. <laughs> <laughs> so the co-ops where I live, the, it's now called the Berkeley Student Cooperatives. They required that you were a full-time student. And you could be a community college student. You could be a UC Berkeley student. Most people were Berkeley students. But you couldn't just be a, a community member. And so it sounds like your co-op doesn't have that restriction. Yeah, yeah. So there are definitely a lot of student-only co-ops in Austin, um, but there's also a surprising number of independent ones. I think that there are four or five, maybe. Um, And, like, this co-op specifically started out as a student co-op in, like, the 1940s, and then ever since then it's kind of evolved. So now I think there's, like, two or three grad students, but most people here are, like, you know, grown-up people who aren't in school. Mm. Yeah. And, and even at the student co-ops that I knew, there was there was always some people there who found a way to get themselves in without being a formal student. Like they were just the long-term guest of the house mm-hmm. and they didn't sleep in an official room. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I love co-ops and I'm so glad that you found one you really love there because they provided such an important part of my college experience. And it's almost cheating to say that it was part of college experience because the co-op was not owned by the college and I could have been going to community college. Uh, I could have been, you know, one of those people who didn't actually do full-time school and, and that social life and getting introduced to this diverse group of people who were very interesting, thought provoking. Some of my, my still, you know, longest time friends came from the Berkeley student co-ops and, and that was all quite separate from the experience of being a college student. So, yeah, I'm with you. We're we're both out there pushing co-ops into the world. (laughs) Let's make more of them. They're great. They're so good. Yeah, and this co-op, too, it's, like, right on campus. So, I mean, I really feel like I get, like, the best of everything without having to go to school. Uh. Um, Because I'm, like, you know, I can easily go to any events that are on campus. Uh, There's, you know, tons of people my age around. It's really a pretty good setup. So have you organically made friendships with undergraduates in Austin this way? Um, Kind of. I think that mostly it would be from where I work. Like I work at a restaurant that's near campus. So like a couple people there do go to school. Honestly, that has been, it's been, um, I don't know, maybe comforting is the right word just to see that there are several people who like 
who went to UT and now are working at this restaurant and I, you know, didn't go to UT and I am working at the restaurant. Like just seeing that, you know, this, I don't know, I don't want this to sound horrible, but just that, you know, going to school doesn't guarantee that you won't be working restaurant jobs, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that sounds horrible. I think that's a reality check. And and UT means University of Texas at Austin, Yeah, right? yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so you were working at Starbucks. You were also working at a restaurant. You were living in the housing co-op, and you had these two internships? Yeah. That was gap year number three? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And did you still have time for writing? Like, was your inner English major, uh, you know, happy with this setup? Yeah, I think, I guess it, it kind of ebbed and flowed over this time. Um, I, like, wrote in my journal consistently. Um, while I had, like, the internships and I was working a lot, I was, it was mostly, like, just personal writing, nothing that I really polished or wanted to get out there. Um, and then I guess, once those internships ended, then I spent more time like working on like my personal blog and writing projects that I was more proud of. And like I made some zines and yeah. So I, I think that um, I was able to balance writing in there. Like it wasn't always the same amount, but I feel like I was able to um, pursue it to the extent that I wanted to. Okay. Before we get into your, your final and your current gap year, I want to zoom out a bit and ask uh, at this point, what, uh, how would you describe your, your plan? I got, I'm going to say, I sound horrible saying this, like your plan for economic security, right? <laughs> like what, what's your personal vision? And maybe, you know, what do you tell to your parents or to people who ask you about this for uh, yeah, making sure you can continue supporting yourself and you can find work that feels meaningful to you and is, and you're not locked into to service uh, level labor for uh, a long, long time, longer than you would want to be? Um, yeah, th that's the question I'm, I'm not gracefully asking. No, that is a really good question. And it's definitely something that I think about a lot. I think, um, hmm, I don't honestly have a great answer. I think that like right now I'm comfortable working in service jobs, especially because I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't know if going to school for an English degree would necessarily help me get out of service jobs. Um, but I do think that like, if there does come a time when I like, you know, really never want to see a bus tub again, I think that the community college would be a really great resource. Like I've looked into like, you know, like technical writing and just a way to like get a degree that's like, more immediately accessible than a four-year degree that mm -hmm. would kind of set me up to um, to be able to write and make money writing. And I think part of the reason that I haven't been super eager to pursue that right now is it like technical writing doesn't sound like, you know, my like dream fun job. And right now I feel like I can, you know, like work in a restaurant, which I have a lot of fun doing, and then also do the writing I want to do on the side. But I do think that there are options to like write in a way that might not be creatively fulfilling, but would allow me to provide for myself. I just like, I haven't felt a huge desire to look into it yet, but I do think that that is an, an option. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're, you're living not in your parents' house anymore. You have your own community of friends. You're financially supporting yourself uh, unless you're not. Um, but I assume it sounds like you <laughs> are. You yeah. are yeah. And, and you've got lots of different projects. You're, you're making connections with people. You're building relationships with organizations. And so you, you really are adulting at this point, <laughs> right? You're doing what a lot of people who go to college 
end up doing for many years after they finish their degrees between ages 22 and 26. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think my question is even fair. And I, I and, uh, thank you for being much more graceful in answering it than I was. In <laughs> um, okay. Tell me about this fourth gap year. If we can even call it a gap year anymore, it's just your gap life. Uh, yep. <laughs> what are you doing? What's keeping you engaged this year? So, Right now, um, I'm working at a restaurant to make money. I'm working on writing. Um, lately, I've been doing like more like personal journal type writing. And then in the spring, I'm taking a fiction writing class. I guess it is the spring. I guess in a couple of weeks, I'm taking a fiction writing class um, at the community college again. Um, and then I also, one of my goals this year is to get more involved in the like writing and literary community outside of school in Austin, because like there's a pretty good one. There's a lot of like, events at bookstores and different writing groups that I just haven't really like infiltrated yet. So I guess that's something that I want to work on. Infiltrated. It makes it sound like (laughs) you don't belong there. (laughs) Yep. I need to like, I don't know, break in and prove myself or something. Ah, well, imposter syndrome affects all of us. (laughs) Great. Um, Is there anything that you can say to people who are listening who might be, who might've been in your shoes uh, a few years ago, someone who is on the cusp of of the age that they think they're supposed to go to college, but like you, um, they have reservations about whether it's going to be worth the time and the money, and whether they really need college to accomplish their goals or to to start a meaningful life. Is there anything you can extrapolate from your own experience, maybe uh, lessons you might have given 17-year-old Maya, if you could teleport back in time? Hmm. Um... I think that I would just want to remind them that I feel like everything ultimately will work out. Like I felt, I did feel kind of anxious about not going to college and mostly I felt afraid that everything was like taking a lot longer than I thought that it should. Like I thought that I should know exactly where I was going and what I was doing. And I feel like now at this point, like, you know, I still don't know exactly like what I'll be doing five years from now, but I feel really happy with where I am and I really love what I'm doing. And I think, you know, I think that that's what matters. So I think that it, I think that I would tell people not to be super concerned with like, you know, what things look like or how they'll explain what they're doing to other people, but just kind of pay attention to, you know, how their life feels to them. And if it feels good, just keep doing it. I think that's wonderful advice. And let's do a follow-up interview in five years. So you can get a reality (laughs) check. (laughs) Okay. Maya, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Blake.